Welcome to The Razor Edge. I'm Daniel Schwartzman, and I'm joined by Seeking Alpha author Akram's Razor, as always. The Razor's Edge is a podcast where we talk about ideas that Akram has been following personally or as part of a Seeking Alpha marketplace service, also called The Razor's Edge. I bring my own perspective as a generalist and somebody who follows the markets closely, though I'm not doing my own deep dive research the way Akram often does. We look at specific stocks, we discuss how they might play out, we discuss the research. Sometimes it's more of a trading positioning orientation. If you're interested in more of these ideas and more of these trades and sort of approaches that Akram takes, I encourage you to check out Akram's Razor or the Razor's Edge on Seeking Alpha. Just typing in A-K-R-A-M and you'll see the service pop up. It's a great service to follow the market, get some real trading flow and ideas. This week, we're talking about Disney. You could argue that airlines and restaurants and cruise lines aside, Disney is as much at the heart of what's going on with coronavirus as anybody. They have cruise lines, first of all, but also their theme parks, meaning they're implicated by the travel sector shutdown. The retail store and movie theater shutdown affect Disney's consumer products and box office. No sports means ESPN is scraping the bottom of the barrel for content, might make it easier to cut the cord. On the flip side, Disney Plus is out and becoming the most popular work-from-home babysitting assistant on the market. And before all of this really happened, Bob Iger, the longtime beloved CEO, stepped down just over a month ago. Somehow Disney, more or less in line with the market since the bear market kicked off, a little bit behind, I believe, but has not been really struggling. There's a lot to talk about here, so we're going to try to unpack it. Before we begin, our usual disclaimer and disclosure, The Razor's Edge is a podcast on Seeking Alpha's The Investing Edge channel. The views discussed belong to either Akram or me, respectively. Nothing on this podcast should be taken as investment advice. We'll disclose any positions in any stocks discussed at the end of the podcast, but since we're covering Disney, I am along Disney and have been for a while. Akram is not, though he did own it for a trade earlier this week. So, Akram, good morning. Good morning. You you brought this up to me. So, where do you want? We've really Disney. You can break down into those five business lines: consumer products, box office, theme parks, and physical. The ESPN and media business, and now the new direct to consumer. Yeah, I think like that's a- it. Outside of Disney Plus, it's like the coronavirus short ETF, right? <laughs> it's really got the full range of I mean, issues. It's, it's only other competition, maybe what uh, Bill Ackman was long before he was shorting on the, on the credit side. But yeah, no, it's definitely an interesting one. Well, it's interesting because, you, and I've seen, by the way, you call it out as one of those stocks that you sort of look at and get excited about because it's it was – Previously trading at about 140 a share, it was. It's hard to value precisely because they're going through this Disney Plus shift, which hits some of their business, but in theory should give them a more Netflix-like business on the other side. But it wasn't cheap by any means before this. Now it's sort of in the. It got as low as I think about 12 to 13 times trailing earnings, but obviously that earnings takes a hit. So. Yeah. So, what do you? Thirteen and a half or so. I I I got some last last Wednesday in the mid eighties and I sold it Monday. You kind of you know this whipsaw. You you, you get bullish and you get bearish. And it's like 
your emotions are going with the news and a lot of this stuff. It's <laughs> right. My rationale was, yeah, it's 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 a business that is for the next year going to face some structural challenges that are just very very difficult. I mean, it's the theme, just starting with the theme parks, right? So, I mean, at the end of the day, and we've, we've talked about this in the past with Disney, the theme park is, is, has been a profit center the last few years, right? They've been raising ticket prices. Uh, cruises have been super popular, by the way. That's something people miss. I mean, like the cruise line industry has been in a secular boom for, you know, the last two decades almost, but really strongly the, the, the last 10 years. It's become very popular globally. I mean, it used to be like something like 75% or even close to 80% in, in the 90s of, of uh, cruise line passengers were from the U.S. And now it's like half comes from the rest of the world. Yeah, that's something we looked at now almost two years ago on our other podcast, Piani Idea. We looked at, I think it was Royal Caribbean, which has usually been the stock that I've seen people look to short in the cruise line sector. And we had Paul Brady on, who is a, he's now at Travel and Leisure as a lead editor there. And yeah, I mean, it, there's that industry has, got, we've grown out of the sort of Gen X suspicion of anything sellout and commercial like that to a point where, yeah, it's become a popular form of travel. And Disney obviously has. I assume they have exposure both because they have their own cruise line. I wouldn't be surprised. I should have checked this. I wouldn't be surprised if they also get cruise line passengers coming into their theme parks on trips. Yeah. I mean, look, there's, there's, it's part of like they have a vacation resorts, right? Type package and like that. That's a good chunk of that revenue in, in the 25 or so or 26 billion that is uh, parks and resorts. So I think it's probably four or five billion in there, right? So call it, you know, more than more than ten percent, right? Like fifteen percent or so. I think uh, is coming from uh, within parks and resorts is coming from the uh, cruises and vacation packages versus ticket sales, which is the biggest, and then like food and beverage, and then licensing, and then merchandise. Well, and that's the whole, you know, for example, you take the bull story with Disney Plus and a lot of people would talk about how Disney Plus is going to give them a funnel directly to users, to users, sorry, I'm thinking like a online company, but to customers the same way that Amazon Prime becomes that staple so that you then once you have amazon prime now you're using it to order from whole foods but you're also using it to watch videos and you're benefiting from all these other things disney plus gets you tickets to the theme parks or discounts off the theme parks disney plus is a way to create that relationship yeah, into the brand kind yeah of flywheel well and that's flywheel you know, <laughs> Walt Disney had that there's that old graphic that goes around where he was talking about how all the different lines of the business model flow into each other. Do you so when we talk about theme parks since we started I there, mean, does that is that just an isolated problem or do you see it also having that sort of repercussion with the rest of the brand? Well, look, I mean when when we discussed this when we were I mean when we were doing Netflix, was it or 
Yeah, the streaming war is where yeah, we, we got started. into the streaming wars, right? I mean, you and I both like Disney, and I mean, I owned it from ahead of the Disney Plus launch and and whatnot. Uh, but when you think back on that, when when we were when we were investing in it, then both you and me, I would say, even like going back to before their analyst day when they announced the pricing of Disney Plus, the dynamic was that parks is a stable dominant business right like you weren't messing with that like that's factored in right and then the franchises that they owned in in terms of uh mainstream box office boxable you know bankable sorry content was you know we had star wars we've got the whole marvel empire like it's exactly what people still go to the theater for that's about it right so we had we were looking at it from a standpoint of these are you don't question these you know it's like it's like it's the iPhone of their space and anything and I would say I mean and I don't remember how much we got into it but where where we got into the the, the debate around it was that what's weighed on the stock before it got going let's go back to that was ESPN right ESPN is a huge chunk of profitability for them. I mean, it's like, it's an $11 billion a year revenue generator between the affiliate fees and the advertising. And that had been, you know, highest rising carrier, uh, carrier fees or for like a decade, like they're raping it on cable. It was a money making machine. And, Cord cutting became, you know, that was like the drag that Iger was dealing with. And, you know, he went into the, the Marvel super, super cycle and then this boom in the parks business. I mean, the parks business, people forget, really was, was, has been carrying this thing. They've been executing flawlessly in parks. And part of that has been cruises and part of that obviously has been how they've succeeded internationally. But we, I think when we discussed it in the streaming wars, we did point out that, I mean, live sports and ESPN being more open in terms of the Disney brand before being squeaky clean to embracing gambling, to start embracing esports a little bit and the way they were opening it up. And, you know, they've, they've launched this whole bundle of direct to consumer, uh, broad range of ESPN content. But I mean, still the, the, the huge package deals they have there. And then they went out and they bought the Fox assets uh, on the, on the, on the film side, you know, to kind of consolidate the box office. So we got, you added that in there. So like streaming was the upside, right? And we saw that as, as something not being captured by the stock price and that they would grow very quickly there. And like, I think that, that, that was essentially the bull narrative. And that's where you go back to this whole the flywheel you were talking about earlier. It all feeds into good. I don't think that breaks now. I don't, I don't think you have brand damage, right? But, I mean, let me ask you, because this is what I struggle with. with and, I'm, and I'm sure anyone listening to this, if they're looking at, at an asset like Disney, which is one of the bluest of blue chip assets, right? I mean, the, the, the four stocks I bought last week were, were Nike, Home Depot, mcdonald's and disney i mean <laughs> it's like the warren buffett of america type of investing you know you, you weren't really sitting there getting too complicated with what you're thinking you're like hey, this, this, these businesses are going to be fine in five years 
and I, you want that kind of insulation. And then, you know, a week later, you're like, yeah, but I'm still paying like 20x for all these, you know, <laughs> except for Disney, which had gotten cheap. And, and that's where you start being like, and I'm like, well, what if people start changing their travel behavior? And 13 times trailing is great, but maybe they lose money this year. <laughs> you know? So, I mean, I, I don't know. Like, let's, let's consider, like, where are you? Like, you have to have a view right now. Uh, and it's obviously very hard considering where we're at with this coronavirus. But you have to have a view on how this changes consumer behavior in the West, particularly in the United States, right? And are we looking like, is it a year till attendance is back to where it was pre-corona? Is it two years? Is there a chance that we're facing a dynamic where the world changes a lot and maybe you have a, even a more significant pullback? It's, it's, it's an interesting question to ask. And, I'm, and, and, and in terms of the, the theater business, like the box office, you almost at this point have to ask if this is like the final straw that broke the camel's back, right? <laughs> I mean, uh, AMC was was on its way to a bankruptcy restructuring potential scenario before this happened, and you now have this. So, I, I mean, we'll get we'll get to the box office in a second, but I think the first thing you got to be thinking is how much is behavior change a year from now? What that, what's the path back to normal? And what do you view as, is there a new normal? Is this like after 9-11, you go to the airport and you now have to deal with significantly more wait times, securities being scanned, you know, in the, what do you call them? The biometric or whatever devices. And that kind of changed. You couldn't just walk up to the airport, walk to the airport with no, with no ID and no nothing and, and hop on a flight, you know, 15 minutes before, right? It became a bit, bit of an endeavor. So is outdoor entertainment like a theme park something that takes a hit at the margin that changes how we value a big piece of their business it doesn't have to be much right right because it's it's a fixed a lot of fixed costs so a lot of their capex goes here i think it's a it's a it's the right question to ask i think so i'm I'm hard to, I should disclose, I've talked before about being long certain travel stocks. I'm a big traveler. I feel like this is not going to change how I travel. And so it's hard for me to, to remove myself, my sense from what I see from other people. I know t we're both on Twitter. Twitter is the most hyper aware of what's going on, I think, as a social network. But my sense is that travel does get back to normal by let's say 2022 to me seems like it's going to be a normal travel year. I don't think that there's going to be a makeup for what's lost. I do think this is pure lost revenue that's going to happen in this period, but I do think that setting aside whatever the broader economic impact is, which is of course there because maybe people will have less discretionary income to travel. I do think even if you could imagine a world where everybody gets temperature scanned Whenever they walk into a large gathering, whether it be a sporting event or a theme park like this, I do think that I, I, I wouldn't be surprised 
I would expect my base case is that it does get back. It's just a matter of how long. And to Disney's advantage, their balance sheet isn't perfect. They obviously took on a lot of debt with the Fox acquisition, but I think they managed to issue debt successfully in the past week. I don't. I didn't see a, what. Yeah, the they final did. Price. I think it was six million or something. Yeah, and the interest rates were about Look, yeah. three and a half. I don't know how they priced it, but they liquidity is fine right now. That's not. I don't think that's an issue. Right. So and the, and the market didn't really seem to have an issue taking it up. I mean, th- these are kind of horribly timed variables, right? I mean, they would have gotten Fox a lot cheaper. Okay? <laughs> That's true. And uh, and Iger stepping down. I mean, I mean, the, it was him and and uh, and Keith Block at Salesforce the same day, and like just as coronavirus was mm. heating up, right? Mm. I mean, yeah, the, the person in charge is 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 a themed parks and resorts guy, so. It's it's actually kind of an interesting dynamic that like you're, you're taking the captain of this major ship, you know, it's the Titanic of travel and leisure. There was actually someone had published something called beach stocks. Uh, right, like, I showing, saw that. Showing the stocks that are hit, I was like, well, I mean, isn't that Disney? It's like the beach stock portfolio. The so here's here's how I don't know I don't have a strong view on the themes and parks beyond that. I think we probably get back to normalcy. You could argue that given that Disney, like let's say cruise lines, and there's been talk that the cruise lines. Right, so you're 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 in 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 the camp of normal is 2022, right? For travel, for the yes. travel, I think the box offices, box office, and ESPN are other factors to think about. But we'll get to box office. I think ESPN that there's two ways to look at it. I mean, there's some things that can, are. are are, are difficult and then there's some things that could work in their favor. But, but going back to what you were saying in terms of 2022, and I, I, let's just take that assumption that like there's no problem going to parks and people are active again. And I mean, that's a likely type of scenario. Look, I mean, people forget when you look at Asia and I was having this conversation with a friend, you know, I've got a couple of subscribers who are based in China. I have a brother who used to work for a Chinese company. And a relative who works at TikTok and so on and so forth. And I mean, for, for the Chinese, like coronavirus is like you can, it's pretty return to normal for them in terms of lifestyle. I mean, it's not completely return to normal, but you, you can go get a cup of coffee, walk on the street, walk into the Apple store. That's happening in Shanghai. You may not be, you may not be going to the movie theaters right now. But they've dealt with these viruses before. They've had the experience. Like they're used to walking around with masks. It's not a big deal in Asia. And I mean, there's maybe even an argument that 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 their their exposure to past coronaviruses has played a factor in, in some of this. I mean, I, I, I look. I'm no scientist. I'm no epidemiologist. What is it? Epidemiologist. Yeah, but. Like you do sit there and wonder like how, how certain things are going. Like have they benefited at all in, in immunity wise because they've been exposed to previous types of coronaviruses at, at a different scale? Who knows? But the bottom line is the Chinese and Asia has had more past experiences with this as a function of daily life, right? And getting on with it. Because the United States hasn't. That's and, and the Europeans haven't had has something like this in a long time, so that's where you kind of have that shock. And for 
the I think for for Disney's theme park business in the U.S., which is the bulk of it, right? It's very hard to see how this year is going to write off completely. For I sure. mean, I don't know where you are on that, but I mean, let's just assume that we're, I mean, the president is all about getting back to work and, and whatnot. But I mean, what caused me to sell is just like, look, this all, there's been excitement about, you know, uh, shifting to focusing on uh, opening the economy back up. And you're like, all right, so it's open. What percentage of people are going to feel comfortable doing anything till they see the hospitals have had a huge drop off in people in ICUs? That's number one, right? And then even after that, what percentage of people are going to be like, okay, yeah, I'm going to go to work. I, I may even go to the gym, but I'm not going to a crowded theme park. I'm not, I'll, I'll, I'll well, postpone that also, trip for a year. Well, like, let's just wait till there's a vaccine or some antivirals. You just look at the uncertainty and the you have to get there too in the travel industry. I had family that was supposed to be visiting me in Spain this month or in April, and you know they like they obviously it was pretty clear that they weren't going to be able to come not so not so long into this. But you you have to buy tickets, you have to plan hotels, etc., and that's hard. I mean, we're not sure yet how when we usually go to the States in the summer and we're still, that's still to me a question mark. And so for planning a discretionary trip, like going to a theme park, it feels like, yeah. Yeah. It's so low on the totem pole of priorities, right. For, for everyone, because even you even have the element of, you know, like, and we don't even know anything yet about this in terms of, but it's going to come back in September, October in some sort of fashion. And what are we going to be dealing with there and how prepared are we then? Right. And then you have an election in the United States. So, and then you go into this whole process. I mean, I don't know if you've if you've looked at the CARES Act yet. I mean, the House will be voting on it today. I mean, I went through this whole thing, and I've been following that closely. And uh, I mean, like you're going to have people applying for these loans that give you the uh, two and a half month of uh, uh, paycheck uh, protection, and the loan forgiveness, and the delaying of the taxes, and I mean, you've disrupted a lot of things. And I mean, even when you get outside of a hotel and, and, and travel, you have, you have core businesses that have been disrupted, you know, and, and even in the healthcare profession, you know, you and I were talking about earlier uh, in terms of surgical practices and, and having to delay uh, patient treatments and so on and so forth. So I don't think anyone's thinking about vacation right now, right? And that's where you get into the, like that's a this is a twenty seven billion dollar a year revenue business. About eighty percent of that is the domestic U.S. Right, so that's a huge hit. <laughs> and and you're t- you're talking about these uh, cruises. I mean, have you seen all the people on Twitter being like, "Yes." Uh, no money for the cruise lines. They don't pay taxes, and and they're all flying flags in Panama and Bermuda and Bahamas or whatever. So what's funny about you know we're recording this on Friday the twenty seventh. The market is as we I think I said was back in a bull market. Apparently, I mean it's just been a crazy rally this week, and I think everybody's so eager to just look th- look through Q two, maybe even Q three, and say all right, we're gonna have a v- look at all this stimulus. We're gonna have a V shaped recovery. 
I think that's, I don't think it's nefarious per se, but I think that investors are just hoping that, you know, we just want to close our eyes, ignore the next six months and then get back to normal. I think that's a little bit of the attitude. Obviously, that's my characterization, but you, here's the argument I think for Disney in the theme park space. I don't know that I buy it. I do think we do approach normalcy, but you could argue that, look, Disney will take a hit for sure, but they do have the liquidity and the capital to hold up. Once you are going back again, where are you going to go? You're going to go to your tent poles. You're going to go, oh, we got to get to Disney World. We just, you know, that's got to be where I go. And then on the cruise line side, they don't, whether or not, first of all, they probably can avail themselves to a bailout in a way that the other, I mean, I don't know the broader scope of things because they have a bigger business, but in theory, they're not, they're not facing the, they're not flying, I assume, under Liberia or whatever the other flags Oh, their are. ships are not US based. Right? Oh, they're this not. Is, oh, okay. Look, I stand correct. I mean, the, 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 it's a subsidiary. It's actually the whole thing is interesting. It has nothing to do with taxes. I mean, I remember this from law school and I, I, I even tried to get into it with someone, but you know, Twitter's 147 characters and <laughs> nobody has the patience to have a real conversation. But, uh, it would actually be great to get a maritime law professor on. But I mean, the entire industry of cruises is essentially based on 19th century legal principles, which were very, protect the business anti-consumer from liability it actually goes back to like you get sick on a cruise ship and the doctor treats you right they don't want to be liable it actually used to boil down to that that's where it really started but they're on this like hundred year old regime in terms of maritime law that is you know they, they don't want to pay they're avoiding labor laws they're avoiding insurance laws there's a lot of things and predominantly in the United States, liability law. And like, if you go to a bar and you get wasted and so passed out drunk, and then someone robs you in the United States of America, you can sue the bar. Okay. You cannot do that on a cruise line. And I mean, I believe me, I'm sure you're more likely to get wasted on a cruise line and something goes wrong. Exactly. So the, the, they actually are structured in that way, and that's convenient also in the sense that they have paid significantly less taxes, but all the major cruise lines are headquartered in Miami. So their physical presence is there, but they do hire. I mean, a lot of the most of the, most of the labor is below minimum wage. That's another thing they want to do. There's seasonality element to it. And like, I mean, the industry has, you know, gone after if you think about it from like back in the Titanic days of being where, you know, the luxury super rich live it up and then everybody else is crammed below. I mean, it's been like price point, aggressive consumer targeted, you know, mass market. It's been a booming business and it's expanded drastically over the last 20 years. So I don't think it's uh they didn't have necessarily an issue with, with, with taxes, but it's more about liability for them. And maybe this highlight side of they need a bailout and they have to come on shore, but then what's the net result of that? It gets more expensive, right? Cause you're changing the cost structure, but I mean, Disney relative to the rest of them, maybe that's something good for them, right? Cause they do have the diversified business relative to, you know, 
the, the three other cruise lines of note to take market share on the on on the outside of this. Yeah, that's where I mean, in theory, that's the opportunity here is that Disney is big enough that whatever disruption there is for these other cruise lines, Disney in theory, again, we talked about in a different context, they could in theory be a consolidator there. I'm not making that argument, but that's where in some sense that there's some Disney isn't, you can make a case that they'll be okay in the travel industry. I think the box office, especially ESPN, I think there's more questions, but the box office, especially to me, this seems like fuel on the fire for them to just go direct to consumer. Like this seems like, I mean, it was already getting pretty small. Like Disney's a $70 billion company. The, the whole box office business is 10, 11 billion. And in that box office business, the actual rake on the theater chains is half of that. So you can, you can basically say you're talking like 8% of revenue is what they get from the cinemas. It's not the biggest piece because they've got Blu-rays sales, like, and I'm sure the margins on that are much higher. It's not broken out, but that's a significant portion. And then like licensing these movies uh, directly for pay-per-view and whatever, that's a significant portion. So that's probably a bigger cut of profitability. So the, yeah, the, the box office in of itself has to take, but they are such a big part of it. That's the, that's the interesting thing, right? I mean, in the U.S., they're forty percent, right? After they bought Fox, you add Time Warner and uh, and Sony are probably thirty percent uh, between them, you know, maybe twenty six percent. So, like, you're looking like you're looking about seventy percent of of the industry in the three suit, but but Disney's forty percent of it, and I mean, I like they they may have to make a strategic decision like you said like are they just going to go like are they really going to push towards streaming because i mean this has been an area they dominate right like when their superhero movies come out you still do it's an event people do want to see them on a big screen and the same thing with lion king and and, and frozen but like they're essentially supporting that this this business model, and in the United States, I mean, AMC has was seriously teetering coming into this. Uh, does Disney even have to come in here from a strategic standpoint and, and help out? I, I don't know. It depends on on what they're thinking internally about the box office. I mean, like it's that's a tough one. I don't know. What's your opinion on it? I mean, I don't. You're saying can they be compelled to, or would they want to? step in look you can reduce debt restructure and have new equity that's what what you know that's capitalism and that's what's supposed to be allowed to happen my question is is if you do get amc in a bankruptcy and you have an amazon and a facebook or an apple or whatever uh, or a netflix who's thinking you know what let's get some screens and, and start airing like i mean who who has to protect share there right like if i'm amc right now and or I'm if I'm these Martin Scorsese's or these guys uh, you know who've bitched about Hollywood and and where it's going and the and the streaming and and uh, or or criticize the tentpole films and like you want to step in here and protect the, the cinema experience going forward you may you may have to do something or it won't be there. 
maybe it's a George George Lucas takes his Lucas uh his Disney per- buyout and he goes back and buys the buys one of these chains. No, I for, yeah, it's interesting because in theory that's more Disney's home turf. They don't necessarily have to they've kind of had that as their free run of space. Netflix only shows up there if they want to get something considered for the Oscars. I don't I'm actually not familiar with Amazon producing movies that go on the big screen. Their movies feel to me more under the radar. They're more Yeah, so far. Shows. But the I mean, I guess the point is that I'm trying to make and look, this is complete like, you know, for anyone listening, we're, we're utterly speculating here. It's sure. not based on anything. Uh if I wanted to do something opportunistic or get more aggressive or change the game cuz you remember when they when they were launching when Net, when Netflix was launching uh Scorsese's film. What was that thing called again? The Irishman. Yes, that four-hour, three-hour. <laughs> I skipped it. Uh, I mean, I'm a huge fan of those types of movies, and even I was exhausted. <laughs> but like, they, I, I would have felt ripped off if I had to see that in a theater. So, thank you, Netflix. You but go. the the dynamic there with that was they would not. The theater chains would not back down on the window right mm-hmm. and they these the two of them had gone back and forth and whatever now you look at it and, and within that context with the theater chains you know having been financially under some duress and now getting hit with this if you're netflix who by the way right now has been like as far as stocks go up until the last couple of days you know if you want to go back in the past when markets had crashes, like your best performing stocks tended to be like Coca-Cola, you know, uh, and like Procter and Gamble and back before it was the worst sector in the world, ExxonMobil, right? <laughs> but this time it was like Walmart, Costco and Netflix. And then if, you know, the work from home crowd buying Zoom, you know, you can like throw Amazon in there, I feel like. Uh, yeah, you're right. No, without question, which I had sold, by the way, and I regret after being tortured by it for three months underperforming. Amazon has been a rock star, yeah, right? Because really unlike Facebook and Google, it's not where there's no advertising. But, you know, that's for, for another day because Facebook has just been the worst. But going, going to the uh, Netflix, it's like they, – Revenue is predictable. It's not, uh, you're not going to worry about theme parks having a write off a year and then how impaired they are next year. It's like literally, it's, go- it's going up, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's not going up as much as Zoom, but revenue is going to be stronger than whatever you expected uh, before the virus for the year, right? So, I mean, it's like a AAA credit, right? In terms of, in, in that sense, if you're, ass- if you're assessing visibility and with them sitting in that position, because the stock is still obviously extremely expensive, and you got to be thinking in terms of a broader valuation in markets, which you which you've seen a little bit, you know, in Zoom and and Netflix and Walmart, as everything else has rallied, some money has come out of there where people have been hiding, uh, that they they wouldn't want to exploit it, and that's when you go and you say, could they do something opportunistically here? And if they are thinking about doing something opportunistically here. Does that force someone like Disney, who has 40% share, and Disney economically make like generating a profit off what they earn 
of the box office ticket sales may not be as important as the brand effect it has in terms of the Blu-ray and DVD sales, the pay-per-view, and the hype that it creates around the events of, let's say, the Marvel and Star Wars films, which then will feed into your Disney Plus and your brands and your theme park attractions and and that whole like flywheel and the merchandising and everything else related, right? So it starts at the box office with everyone talking about it, going, wanting to see it when there is a big event. And like that's they've had that on lockdown. So if if their share there is going to be jeopardized, like maybe, you know, maybe a play, someone can step in and maybe these chains can can play these play these guys against each other who are who are now looking at this as an opportunity to maybe disrupt some of what Netflix has there and come in and uh, so, sorry what Disney has there not Netflix and come in and, and, and cause cause a little bit more havoc or, or or just force this in that direction right where streaming really takes over completely. I mean, I don't know if, if you're going to lose the theater exactly, but I definitely think it's one of those things that after this year, like, ha- will have taken an even bigger hit. Well, it just, yeah, I mean, it just seems like... Because people, people being cooped up in the house, you know, when they get out, it would, I just feel like the last thing they'd be thinking is, oh, I just want to go to the theater. Right. Certainly not, I mean, for, let's say, a music concert or for whatever in theory, but yeah, for something that they've already watched on their screen. I feel like when you're trying to piece through what's going to be a more lasting change versus what's not. So to me, travel, I think you probably do recover. But yeah, I I think – and I still actually – I'm the only one – my wife and I are the only ones left in our family who still go to the movie theater. And we, you know, I I still like movie theater popcorn and – go maybe two or three times a year, maybe a little more. But uh yeah, it just seems like, well, that's not really that's I mean, not I, really I went the most I've ever gone last year. I mean it was I was I was I saw so many movies in the theater. So there yeah, I mean it, there's still something to it, but it's a weird social experience because it's like, you know, I, I mean even remember back to being like you can't talk to the other person really. You're sort of in a room together so you're experiencing – I remember being in college and seeing preview screenings of old school, for example, and School of Rock. And that's a lot of fun because everybody's – you're sharing the experience in a way you, you sort of can't online. But we're so used to – people who are web native are so used to doing the same thing with Twitter, whether it's – you know the uh, Disney Plus finally rolled out in Spain this week and I did sign up and – I'm watching The Mandalorian, which they're still actually staggering every week, uh, the release of the episodes after the first two. But, you know, the Baby Yoda theme or whatever, meme and all the stuff around that. So there's definitely I, – I just think, yeah, theaters are probably – you know, and I could see somebody like Amazon or Facebook or Netflix being creative about just viewing it as real – like get real estate, do pop-up theaters. VR do, rooms. You know, yeah. Facebook live events. Concerts, what can watch them there? Sell merchandise. I mean, there's there's many things that could, in theory, be experimented with it, it, at these venues uh, that has not happened yet. But it's we we are at a point where you, 
that's, I guess, I mean, without spending too much more time on this, but we are at a point where you're just like, huh, something like this is the type of thing that attracts someone who's willing to take the risk on a new idea, right? Where before it may have been more difficult and shaking things up may have been more difficult. You now may have just kind of opened it, like, you know what, we're willing to do this now. Yeah, I mean, you know, you, we've talked about and in your Once Upon a Time tech, the idea that in recessions, you new ideas are born out of that. And the, the other thing from a strictly Disney perspective is I think one of the risks that we've talked about all along with Disney for years, this has been the, is can they have their cake and eat it too? Can they maintain their old business lines while still dedicating enough energy to growing Disney Plus? And I think this, on the box office side, forces their hand to really, they need to just figure out how do you generate that buzz or what, like you've raised some good, some of the important legacy factors even beyond the revenue of the box office, but how do they continue to generate that buzz to... It's marketing, right? At the end of the right. day. Because if you look at the numbers and you go through the 10Ks, I mean, even I who, who've looked at them in the past, was like, yeah, you know what? It's freaking small. You know? Mm -hmm. Like they're still making this much on DVD and Blu-ray and the TV and uh, subscription on demand element of the box office content, like when they actually license it to, to Amazon, Netflix, Hulu, whoever, right? Like what, like that's where the money is. So like so little is still is actually coming from watching it in the theater, but like that it sets up everything else. Right. I mean, it is, yeah, it's their, it's their brand. It's yes, yeah, it's, it's free at not free, but it's advertising. So that, that's a risk, but I do, I think that you're gonna, it feels like that has to accelerate. The question is on the other side, ESPN, where they get the fees from cable and, you know, and they have some other channels, but let's talk, let's just use ESPN. They have the fees, but then they also t sell advertising. And yeah, no, I mean, I don't know if like ESPN has it. half a half a billion dollar hit if the NBA doesn't resume, right? That's literally what's what you're talking about. NBA playoffs, literally, that's like 500, 400 million or so plus. Mm. I mean, don't quote me exactly, but it's between 400 and 500. So, right. and then you have other sports, probably a few hundred million. I mean, like they've they've spent a lot of money, you know, acquiring rights, mm. and they're going to take the hit. Of course, it's a good, it'll be interesting to see. Maybe they don't have to make those payments to the league, and that's another. I mean, I you know, people hate. In situations like this, had like here's your money back, right? So, what do the leagues extend them for a year? Is it like they say, hey, you know, we're gonna have makeup dates? Uh, the Masters has been rescheduled to September, for example, right? Hmm. Indy 500, a bunch of stuff. So, when sports yeah. comes back, you're gonna have huge pent up demand, and that may, may make it difficult to actually monetize on all these events, right? So, like this is a, this is another one where you're like. You know, how, how are they going to deal with it in the interim, you know, and, and because that still should be predictable cash flow for them versus the parks and the box office, which are at zero, right? Well, it seems like the risk that people are seeing from what I've read is, and so I want to ask you what you think about it, is essentially that the strain here, ESPN is not really important. If ESPN was why you were maintaining your cable package or other live or, you know, anything, new programming is going to slow down too, to the point where you may as well just have cut the cord and get a direct to consumer 
where you can just watch old stuff. If all this is sort of playing out and the only, you know, maybe you keep an antenna to get local news if you really care about that, but it seems like you might lose uh, your subscriber base might atrophy a lot faster all of a sudden. Yeah, but who's actually doing really well right now? Cable news. Cable news. Okay. Right. So like there's that counter argument on cutting the cord. I mean, I was looking at the ratings for CNN and, and Fox. Uh, I mean, CNN is actually the biggest winner in all of this. Like they've, they've actually managed to close some of that, that gap between them and Fox, but, but they're both up huge. Mm. As Trump would say, huge, <laughs> huge. Mm. Their numbers are through the Pe- roof. People best tell numbers us that ever. Doing great. People we are talking us- best numbers ever. We are we are crushing it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, people will not turn off our channel. The ratings amazing. <laughs> Can't get well. I and you know. By the way, just we're a financial market news site. Our traffic numbers have also been very high in March. It's been a very busy time for us. So I can. I can hear that, and that, but the issue is at the same time the same. Yeah, thing. but ESPN. If I'm sure, if we were to take a close look at their ratings, like I mean, it's it's worse than like watching the Mountain West Conference like at midnight, you know? On no, the East it's Coast. cherry picking. <laughs> the last call, they're like airing like you know Villanova versus uh, Georgetown, you know, Georgetown from 1997. Yeah. <laughs> And they're well, no. You're like, wait, did oh, did, did they win that game? Oh, I don't remember. <laughs> so not only do you have the lack of programming, but you also have that advertising. I mean, if Facebook is taking it on the chin with advertising, I can't imagine that TV advertisers are doing any better. And so I was actually talking to a friend of mine on that, and he got like he's he runs a, a business that does a lot of Facebook advertising, okay. and he's like we usually takes like half a day to get our ads approved and we got our ads approved in like 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're just looking that the advertising is always the first to go. Right. And so that's, so that's where the question is just, do they lose any moment? Is the lost momentum? Are people just going to return to ESPN? Does it again? I would, I would imagine that the next, this is not any insight or any reporting or anything else. I would imagine the next round of rights deals is going to include online rights, like direct to consumer rights of some sort. Like they can't include that stuff in ESPN Plus yet, but they're going to have to, especially if Amazon's pushing in. And if I don't know if Facebook has any, I think Facebook has a couple rights as well. I, you've got to be seeing something more of this go online. Well, Facebook got into uh, the European League, right? Yeah, watch well, soccer. Yeah, I thought they had some soccer on there. Twitter's um, got done their thing with the NFL, but I mean, that to me has not really been that compelling. Uh, well, but no, yeah, I mean, you're, it's definitely something that's that has to be integrated. Look, ESPN's a cash cow for them. That's that's. I mean, I, the way you're describing it, I feel like you're a little bit more uh, bearish on your ESPN view. Yeah. In which case, I, I think I you mean, have to think about stock. the look. I'm long the stock. I'm sort of a longer term investor, and I think Disney. I to be honest, long, I, longer than a week, <laughs> right? And to be, you know, to give my full thesis, I was impressed with Disney in 2018 when it was trading around 100. And I thought, oh yeah, like 
oh my gosh, I just sort of realized their collection of assets. This is, is worth owning. I then put more money into it in 2019 as one of the accounts or a couple of the accounts I managed got some money. I just thought, okay, this is sort of the way I feel about Google, which I'm also long with a little bit even just this will be fine. I need to put it somewhere to have market exposure. And now that we've had a big hit, I'm not in a rush to sell it. But it's not for all the things that we're naming. And we'll get to the the plus side, I guess, pun intended in a second. But Disney isn't I get it. It's a blue chip. It's going to be fine. I think uh, whether it's one year, two years of recovery, whether there are some shifts on the margin that do affect their business or the, whether they're smart enough to capitalize. I think there's still a lot to be said, but it's still not obvious to me that it's – to me, it's not obvious that there are a lot of stocks that are super attractive yet. I've been trying to – I looked – I put a low bid on AT&T, for example, but there's not there's not like a lot of, oh, you need to – Hey, your internet th- bill. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like it's still – I was looking at Cummins came across the screen as pretty cheap, but – you know, there's still sort of auto and trucks exposed. That's I've been trying to I've been trying to swear off the auto industry. Well, I mean, look, I mean, Nike, Home Depot, McDonald's. I as I bought and sold all three for between twenty and thirty percent in a week. And where I bought them, they were all. I think the lowest was an eighteen PE. Right. Right. Disney was down to like thirteen, fourteen. But right. but Disney has major like Disney's most likely there's a scenario where they lose money this year. <laughs> well, and, and they're they going to take a, a massive tra- charge on parks, right? The box office, forget about it, is probably down forty percent in, in twenty twenty, right? And we don't like they're going to have to explain how media networks is working and what's going to happen with ESPN. But ESPN ratings have got to be down. Massively, as everybody else is just watching CNN and Fox and, and and MSNBC or whatever right now, and CNBC, and and this window has extended for you know a month or two. And then what are people? I mean, you got to wait for for sports to come back and live sports. But I think there's they have some insulation there. But I mean, it's a write off year. Then if you look at next year, you say, all right, parks rebounds significantly. But still not to pre-levels, right? And let's assume that you know parks, which has been driven by pricing, has to do a lot of discounting as well, right? To get that to get that traffic back up. So that takes it. That that's another year that's below uh, your box office rebound, but still below where it was before, which was like Avengers and 2019. It's going to look like peak box office for a while for them, right? I mean. You'll have had Endgame and Lion King and Aladdin and Star Wars and then coronavirus. <laughs> so if you put it together, you're going to say, well, okay, 2020 earnings and 2021 earnings are going to be lower than 2019. So I got to be looking to, all, to 2022, right? As far as I'm thinking about you know, what I'm buying. And so, I mean, from that standpoint, you're because, I mean, streaming is going to come in, but streaming, you know, it's a crowded field and making money, it's an upfront investment and it, it doesn't mint in the same way. And we don't really know. And that's where the, that's where the introduction of if cable courting picks up at the rate, because ESPN has been so profitable from the carrier fees that that 
the net net could still be a shrinkage. So you got to basically be thinking that with something like that, you it's maybe it's dead money, right? Right around here. And if you want to buy it, maybe you need to buy it on like one chunk cheaper, right? And if, if, if you're a person who's sitting here and thinking about it, your rationale should be, I mean, I'm, I want to be in this when the tide is turning, let's say, because I'm still of the view that financial performance is going to really lag, right? And that's where these things get tough. It's like you were saying in terms of getting that buffer. And that's where you like, you buy Disney and then when it bounces, you're like, you know what? This is not going to get back to the same profitability that it was this year for two years, now three years. Um, these moving pieces and I don't really, I can't really figure out what happens with the box office and I'm really uncertain about ESPN. Like, is ESPN going to get into, you know, esports more? I mean, is this open the door to that? Like, there's a bunch of stuff that you, like you, uh, one does wonder where, what what the plan is there. It, uh, it's 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 probably worth if you're investing in Disney today. I think you have made a good point that maybe figuring out ESPN and that media networks business is really where you got to spend your time because Disney Plus is going to grow. And like you said, parks is is something that is coming back. It's, you don't have to worry about it. And operationally, they've they've proven themselves, you know, in terms of uh, execution there. And they're putting the parks guy who's run this thing so well. And I think that's maybe why he got the CEO position in terms of execution uh, on the parks in charge. So I think you got to have the, conf- the confidence that uh, operationally, and this is essentially an operational incident response exercise, that that they're in good position. It's the, it's that other pocket where you're just like, what, what, what changes in, in sports and cable programming and, uh, and this huge moneymaker that has been ESPN. And is it still, because it was looking like I, I was feeling better about ESPN when we were doing the streaming wars than I am today. But live sports is live sports, right? And like they still have that. But it's just you're like, what? I have a very hard time understanding uh, where that where that business model is heading, and how much of an impact it is to the whole pie, right? When all the other things aren't firing in on every cylinder, because it was easy to ignore the headwinds in ESPN with parks cruising, box office cruising, and Disney Plus ramping. But now you got to be like, okay, well, here's your, like, you've been slowing it down. And, like, it's like does this turn, if you remember the stock before a year and a half ago, like, part of the misery in it was ESPN. Like, you'd be like, oh, this was great. Why, why did it go up again? Like, this is just frustrating. We're like, this is, you know, they're doing well here. They're crushing it here. 20 billion in revenue from Marvel and fucking ESPN. <laughs> well, sorry. No, it's fine. The, we, the ES, the other thing with sports, just to remember, the, the leagues are taking huge hits. I don't, I haven't seen reporting on the U S but I know I follow 
and ESPN reporter Gab Marcotti. Oh, Tom Twitter. Brady. What are, you, what are you talking about, bro? Tom Brady. Well, so NFL is loving this. This is perfect for the NFL. because all we're talking about. My, <laughs> my, my Ravens have had, had two major signings, you know, after our, our, the depressing exit we had in, in the playoffs. Well, it, Yeah, because- so we're going to have live 24-7 coverage all day, every day of NFL – Draft, draft and, is going to still happen. Yeah. No, I mean, if if, if a league – because, look, we still – you assume that we have a game plan at least for coronavirus in the fall. The NFL is like the big winner in all of this. It's almost like they couldn't have screwed it up. But – and ESPN well, that's where you like that's where you hope ESPN would do some like, you know, shit LeBron does when he's not playing basketball. Right, like they should have these, like they should do some, like almost reality segments. Well, Steph you know? Curry just interviewed Dr. Fauci. Yeah, so freaking stud of all studs. So that's so there you Fauci, go. Fauci is everywhere. They just need content creators right now. They just need to turn the. Like, app when I when I want to go to sleep at night and I'm having coronavirus fears, I just like I put Fauci on loop and I just I'm like, ah, oh, I feel much better. Thank you. <laughs> oh, thank God. So let, let me so let's just quickly on Disney Plus. They I'm looking at their Q4 call transcript or Q1 call transcript, but calendar year Q4, and they their project they had their number was sixty to ninety million dollars to get to profitability, which they were talking about twenty twenty three subscribers, right? Yeah, sorry, subscribers to get to profitability. They were talking about. $900 million operating loss in the DTC and international line. They're launching it abroad now. Their sub, I can't, I couldn't find the report as we were talking, but somebody's talking about how Netflix is incrementally getting more subscribers. So it's good because they're on big, great, bigger base. But this has got to be like, there could be, you talk about the whole Disney versus Netflix comparison. Netflix's market cap is. I believe much bigger than Disney's again. Um, I mean, Netflix. they passed them. That was what. That's what. That was what was prompted me to to to. Oh no! Ping you on, on doing this, right? I was like, damn it, Netflix is bigger. Well, it looks like Disney's recovered. I because Disney has diluted. They their did, fear. but it, it was that was last week. Yeah, when Netflix was when Netflix was defense. Right, right, and so the uh, and Zoom and Zoom was worth. You know, half of Cisco and an IBM, more than the airline industry. So you look at that and you say, well, if Disney somehow surprised big to the upside, let's say, and you just saw not happening, you don't, in terms of Disney Plus specifically, you don't think that there's any scenario where Disney Plus is at 50, let's say. I, I don't know, a cra- it's a crazy number. Let's I say think it 30. could be, no, look, they're going to get to a huge number. Right? Like, you, I liked how you opened this. I didn't even think about that where you're just like a babysitter, you know? That should, be, I mean, that, should no, be another, that should be another work from home angle. It's totally. It's, it's one of those things where, you know, you're like, buy it because it's maybe like, but what about the 40 billion in revenue that's shut down? <laughs> right. No, I, but you just try to, no, I you, get it. You try to change the mindset a little bit to like, you look through and you say, all right, Parks will get back. Uh, box office, I don't know. ESPN, I think we've raised some important questions. But if Disney Plus is hooking people in and becoming a behemoth that's actually catching up to Netflix much faster, then all of a sudden you start to do that. Some of the parts, well, you've got a Netflix hidden in there. And then you've got all these other businesses that are going to be firing. I guess that's – Look, Disney's a content – is an efficient content machine, right? I mean just like when we talk about HBO. This is not 
this is not Netflix, right? Like they own premium assets. They make serious money off of them. Right? So they don't like adding subscribers for them is going to flow more to the bottom line, right? Without question. I mean, it's, it's like, you know, they're, you know, they're Walter White, Breaking Bad, 99.1% pure, right? Netflix is selling generic cola, right? <laughs> well, and I just, Do you want to live in a world without Coca-Cola? <laughs> Daniel, do you really? I was, I made the realization having signed up for Disney Plus. I knew that this was true, but still, you see that they have The Simpsons full library in their if I'm bored enough, I could just stream Simpsons first, you know, seasons two through 10, just sort of nonstop. That would last me at least a couple of weeks. And so that's the sort of, they have the backlog of quality content. And again, I think for yeah, the parents, they own family guy too, through Fox. That's a good question. I don't, I don't know. I think so. They I think should. Family guy. Right? I don't know. They who got else. FX, which is like my Fargo is my favorite series of the last several years oh is far i should check Fargo. yeah that would be an interesting fargo story. is just gold gold i mean yeah well, it, it is some it's, of these it, have you know, encumbered leases some of them are streaming on other channels right i think they're trying to get i did so i don't know where they are with all this but like they do have the library to yeah do, i don't I mean, know it's, that's why i was making the you know the breaking bad joke it's you know it's $120 million that's not being pissed away a year on substandard products. And like Disney can, Disney can say that they get a subscriber, you know, they have the premium product and that means they earn a margin that nobody else in streaming is earning. And that's because they, you know, they built a library uh, and consolidated it at, at the right time. So, yeah, I mean, I guess your point is what, like, is there a chance that this is like, this has created a Zoom scenario and every parent who's on using Zoom for, for homeschooling has also at the same time for, you know, break time, downloaded Disney Plus. I think it's where I don't think it'll play out like Zoom, but I'm saying where you get to the point where the earnings. No, it's not going to play out like Zoom for the stock, but like it, you, you could be talking about very meaningful upside if you believe that. I mean, because it would indicate, uh, and it's a newly launched product. Remember, Zoom's been around. I mean, like people sit here, like one of the things about Zoom, and I mean, I got really hammered being long Zoom at literally the bottom of Zoom's price and. When it reported in December, I was buying this thing in the 60s. I was like, hey, you know what? I'm not going to buy any other SaaS other than Zoom and Salesforce back at the end of November. And it's like, yeah, Zoom is super. Zoom is not a typically a stock that I would buy. But I was just like so confident that they're going to get to close to a billion dollars in revenue by next year. Right? And there's no way I, I think you're going to hit those numbers right? without question. But like, okay, fine. Now it's like, all right, it's trading at 40 five times the forward multiple of where I thought it would be, you know? And so I was buying it at 15 times the forward multiple. So it's zoom is, is crazy because like you're, you watch people are still using web, WebEx and Skype. And I mean, they didn't invent video conferencing, you know, and I'm like, how many people need to host and, and whatever. So when I think about Disney though, I think like, you know what? 
Like, I mean, you do have a very good case that every single person, family, household with, you know, children, you know, under the age of 15 are going to be subscribing to Disney Plus in this environment with their kids with them 24-7. Well, you know, it's, you've, I, I talked to my brother and he's got two kids, pre-teen, let's say preteens, elementary and middle school, and – he said a lot of video games, but I've got to imagine they've they've also got they they still have cable, so maybe they're just jamming out on Disney Channel or whatever. But I just think it, you have that access; it just becomes a big need. And you see again, you see it on Twitter, you just see it in general. People are, it's just you're trying to homeschooling is hard. We have my wife is a teacher, and we have lots of friends who are at, teaching right now and trying to do the teaching from home, and that's really challenging for them. It's also challenging for the kids. And so there's, you're just trying to fill time and Disney at seven bucks a month or whatever. And I'm not trying to make a sales pitch. I'm just, and I'm not even, I'm still, so I'm not necessarily bullish on Disney. I'm holding on. I, you know, I see they have DuckTales in their uh, library. So there you go. But Scrooge McDuck. They've got a lucky dime. I love DuckTales. So there you go. There's, there's your, there's your pitch. But they, I've like, literally thought about watching that on Disney Plus, and I've got, have not got it around it. They well, that's where you, in theory, have you could just see them putting that narrative into a hyper accelerator, and all of a sudden, yeah, we are now literally a streaming company with other units. I don't know that that play. I'm not necessarily bullish on. I'm going to hold on to my shares for the foreseeable future, but I'm not necessarily looking to. I have buy orders out and not for Disney. Look, in theory, though, like you can make that point, right? I mean, it's defensible because what is Netflix's market enterprise value actually? It was like 170 billion. So yeah, so I mean, I mean, market cap is like what 150 and add like 60 is what I saw. Yeah, so, add yeah. add debt and, and off balance sheet content obligations and what it's, you're talking 170 billion plus. Yeah. Yeah. Just for what? Streaming. No merch. No nothing. And so Disney they're not, they're not licensing the content out to anyone else, really. I have no idea what's going on with Hulu, but Hulu is also there. So Disney doesn't have just one. And they do have ESPN Plus, I can't imagine. is. Yeah, I watched the Hillary documentary, which was freaking awesome, by the way. Okay. Uh, I came away being like, yeah, maybe I also had, uh, you know, some sort of misogynist bias on her that was just pre-programmed in my brain by Rush Limbaugh. (laughs) Because, I mean, like, I was impressed. I was like, you know what? If she had had that documentary on the background of her life uh, out there before she ran for president, I would have been like, oh, this is... Like on the merits, uh, I was a lot more impressed with their background. I mean, it just it shows how ignorant I was on her. But it was a good documentary, and uh, that is the reason I'm paying for Hulu. And I imagine actually, I'm trying to find Fargo, and I don't see it again. I'm in Spain, so maybe it's different. But Fargo's on, probably on Hulu. Far, far, Fargo's on Hulu. Yeah, so you've yeah. got all the all those sorts I've, of shows. I rewatched all three seasons of it. The fourth season actually was supposed to be coming out with Chris Rock in the lead, but production has been postponed because of coronavirus. And that's another sort of if this persists longer than people are expecting, that's going to be really interesting because everybody now is like, oh, you know, Netflix and Disney. Well, Tom Hanks got it, man. I mean, what it, like, 
But I'm yeah. saying that all of a sudden you're not going to be having new shows because they actually take time. And what I the was, hell is the virus doing going after the the the, the national treasure? Well, it, but it, so I watched Stephen Colbert's. I don't know if you saw Stephen Colbert did a. He did one show where, it, as they were really shutting down, where it was an empty audience and it was very funny. But then, like, I watched one of his things that he's just recording from his balcony or something, and watched Trevor Noah too, and. It kinda isn't as funny if they don't have anybody what to play audience? off of. Yeah, you kinda. Yeah, some of them. Look, it. Jimmy Fallon's been good with his with his okay. uh, uh, home stuff, and so has Kimmel. Okay, I mean, they're just doing okay. So maybe stunts, I just. But but, but so, I can imagine those guys for just sitting at the desks, but like they just do random shit, like interview their neighbor or like do like a Zoom call with the Jennifer. Uh, uh, What's her name? Gardner, and then it gets like interrupted by their children. It's like, Dad, can I? <laughs> well, that's that's what's just so so, and that's maybe where we can kind of underline this. Disney is a diversionary company, right? They divert you through their theme parks, through sports, through movies, through, and we're in a time it's really hard to find diversions from what's going on because every news well, here, I will site help is you. covering this. Watch CNN for three hours. Then watch Fox News for three hours. Then watch CNN for three hours. Then watch Fox <laughs> News for three hours. I, I do that. So like I'll, I go from straight up, what is the president doing? The president's lost it to it's chill. More people die in automobile accidents. Uh, to, <laughs> it's, well, so it's a good exercise. If you look at my – I work from home. I'm on the computer all the time. So my day-to-day life is actually not – dramatically impacted by this but what's changed for me is you know when i trying to kill some not kill time but divert myself i go to the atlantic or i go to the ringer or i go to espn there's just nothing interesting on those sites except is related to coronavirus right but now. but there is one place that is super interesting twitter <laughs> wow which by the way works out great as a short i wish i had done more trades like that yeah. Like literally, you know, Scott Galloway, if you're out there, just uh, <laughs> shorting Twitter after the coronavirus had broke out and after they announced the deal and it was up when the market was down and then it fell 50%. Yeah. No, Twitter, Twitter. And they did come out and show great numbers. But I mean, I did cover it because it's just like, it's whatever, it's Twitter. And you're just like, maybe they actually do figure something out. But they came out and warned that they're going from, Growth to twelve percent growth to like let's say a two percent revenue drop or something, mm-hmm. and when you consider it's like four weeks that that that's had to have covered, that tells you how quickly the the ad spend shut down, despite surging engagement. Mm-hmm. Which is going to be on Facebook. It's hinted they didn't give you much, but Facebook and Google are really going to be interesting when it when it gets to that, because yeah. I mean. Do they do they not grow revenue this year? Like probably, so it's it's extremely likely. Uh, how much does it decline? That's another question. I mean, who, who's who's more resilient in, in this environment? Because everyone's going to have low visibility, and that's that's where you where, where you get into that. And like that's where we, you know, like we were saying on di- like these streaming businesses are have been so predictable. And and maybe that is enough insulation if you if you look if, if if you take the view that Disney Plus this is like you know a watershed moment and it's like we knew it was going to get 
to Netflix type levels pretty fast, but it was going to take time. And that this lit a fire and got them there. Like they skipped a step, right? The skipped a step kind of uh, effect here. And then slowly all these other pieces come back. Well, maybe the streaming business is enough to insulate it, to make it worth holding here as everything else comes in. But I mean, then we got to go back to that whole streaming, like what are streaming businesses worth if they're for if they're exercises for every single platform company. I mean, at what point do these people spend less money on content? I mean, is, 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 does this rationalize content spend? Uh, does that slow that down a little bit? I don't know. I mean, I, you're going to have such a pipeline to go through after this that you do wonder about that because you've kind of delayed everything, right? I mean, doesn't everything get pushed back a year? In terms of the, yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think, or however long it's, this is a pause. Yeah, I mean, if you had a production schedule and like you got to postpone, I mean, like they're financing these mega projects, you can't, like, you, you would have to, if you're going to complete them, you're going to have to push things back. Right. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I, I think, I think the, the two sort of, the bullish cases I think for Disney are A, that Disney Plus gives them, this is an opportunity for that to step to the forefront. And B, that Disney, that when return to normalcy happens, nothing is more normal in America than Disney. And so, and ESPN in the sports world. And so because Disney is, as you said, the 100% pure, they're going to be the where you fly back to normal. And so they can hold up better than anybody. The flip side is that not so fast, my friend, as Lee Corso would say from ESPN, we don't know if normal is going to be the same for movies, for theme parks, and for ESPN. And my take is, I think theme parks is probably going to be normal, and cruises, I don't know. Box office, I think, will be definitely changed, and ESPN is definitely up for grabs. Any positions? I mean, we mentioned a lot of stocks. Anything? I'm along Disney and Google. I think that's those are the only stocks in mind that we got. I'm to. still in Facebook. I'm still in Coca-Cola. All right. Good stuff, Akram. Um, be well, and we'll do it again soon. All right. Take All care. Right. Take care.